0: Brothers One Mike is a weekly podcast put together to help motivate and inspire our listeners both mentally and physically in the hopes of helping you be the best you. Hey everyone, welcome back to Two Brothers One Mike. I'm Joe and as always, my brother coach Tony is here. Tony.
1: Hey everybody out there in T-Bomb land. Welcome back to Joe the final episode of season two uh, I, cra- I mean that's crazy when you think about it. this is episode 40 altogether episode 20 of season two and I personally uh, can't can't think of a better way to end it than with the interview we have today. You agree or disagree with me on that I agree. I always ask you that question, don't I? I always ask you, you if you agree. And, and what I'm if I say no? What That's what I'm waiting you? for. That's yeah. what I'm waiting for. When's he going to disagree with me? Uh, nope, but, show's um, over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that would be, wow, right? So so thanks for agreeing with me, I guess. Um <laughs> But uh, what a great show today, folks. If you can remember, uh, we we bring this up often. We talk about that 45-page study. This is a shoulders-up com- um, commercial. This is a shoulders-up show today when we talk about the mind and how it affects us when it comes to, in this situation, our decision-making processes. And we talk about that 45-page paper often in Two Brothers, One Mike. And back with us today is uh, our licensed clinical psychologist, and she's here for her second, but... Far from final time, if if I have anything to say about it, uh, she has a, a practice in Borman, Ohio, and works with all ages, as we said before, to address anxiety, depression, self-image, and goal setting. Um, I'm giving cliff notes uh, uh, from the extensive background we gave the first show. Our, her bachelor's degree is from Youngstown State University, and she has her master's and her doctorate. In clinical psychology. They're both from the Illinois School of Professional Psychology. And she's taught at the undergraduate and graduate levels. Uh, She teaches several classes in the community of which she resides uh, and leads workshops on stress management, relaxation strategies, and well being. And there was so much more uh, if you listened to that first show. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back. Again, to Two Brothers, One Mike, Dr. Nicole Rentilla. Dr. Rentilla, how are you doing today?
2: I'm great. Thanks for having me again.
1: How's everything going? Any Anything uh, besides the weather, how's everything going?
2: <laughs> Things are going well. Um, you know, beginning of the year, I see a couple trends with clients. Sometimes people are struggling with the uh, cold, dark weather. Sometimes people are struggling Um, with, you know, any family connections or issues over the holidays in this year. We have a lot of people still stressed out from COVID.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, let me ask you a question. And this is, is, I I guess it could kind of tie this into today's show uh, before we get into today's show. When you said the cold, dark weather, uh, do you feel, I I always wonder, because I have a job where, uh, when it's winter time, and folks, if I'm located between Youngstown, Ohio and Lansing, Michigan. So uh, we have, you know, daylight savings time and so on and so forth. I have a job where sometimes we work 10 and a half, 11 hours a day. We literally get into work. The sun is not shining. It's dark outside. And we leave work when it is dark outside. Have you seen any trends like that with people who have those type of jobs where they literally don't see they literally do not see sunlight for three or four months? And and how that affects them
2: Actually, yes There's a lot of research on people who work um, Turns like that Especially this time of year Where they're not really getting any daylight mm-hmm. Like you said, you're going when it's dark You're leaving when it's dark Um, As well as swing shift workers, and those workers sometimes have the highest rates of seasonal affective disorder or seasonal depression Uh because the pineal gland in the brain is responsible for our sleep-wake cycles, which has implications for depression. And so when we don't get exposure to sun and light, for many people, there are very real effects.
1: Yeah yeah and I can only imagine because being being on that shift for so long, and I was on a swing shift for quite some time in my career with General Motors that is definitely something that you have to pay attention to uh as an individual because Thank I can actually much. feel myself actually drained uh and not wanting to do things not feeling as alive and it it, it definitely uh it definitely is something that can really weigh an individual down uh and Uh, that's some good information right there. Some extra information.
2: It is. And there are a few things, um, that you can do like, um, incorporate exercise, even when it's dark, because that will stimulate some of the same hormones and chemicals and neurotransmitters as light does. You can increase vitamin D. K and a, Mm -hmm. you can also get a light box, which are available on Amazon that simulates sunlight, which is not the same as a tanning bed, but those light boxes can be very effective.
1: I was just going to ask you if it was going to be the same as a tanning bed. My, 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 that would have been an answer to, I I have a, a bad habit where I don't tan like some people do, but in the winter time I will go tanning for maybe 12 minutes maybe once a week, um, just because I'm looking for that heat and that sunlight effect and not so much, uh, looking for a tan, but just to, to get back some type of, of feeling of, you know, summer is around the corner and it just makes me feel better. I'm a, I'm a warm weather guy, uh, and living in Northeast Ohio. So right. I got it wrong. Uh, you know, right now, maybe, maybe, you know, one day, uh, down South I go, but not right now. So, um, that's good information to have uh, and a little extra information that we weren't even expecting today on Two Brothers, One <laughs> Mike. So um, everybody take notes. But uh, as far as uh, today's show is concerned, you know, you we did an interview with you and, and we talked about Integral Emotion and how it affects our decision-making processes. And you've you've actually heard the show we did before that one, before we did the interview with you, and you've actually heard about the show we did on Incidental Emotion – which we're going to talk about today in the interview with you. And so just for starters, when talking about integral emotion and incidental emotion, uh, can you give our listeners a review of what the differences are between these two emotions? and, And are there any similarities between them for that matter?
2: Well, the similarities are that they're both emotions that we feel that can have a really powerful role in decision-making and influence how we go about our day. So that's what they have in common. Mm -hmm. They're things you feel, and I always tell my clients, emotions are valid. Um, Even if you find out information later, say you're mad because you thought a friend was ignoring you, and you find out later they broke their phone, didn't get your text you still felt what you felt, but sometimes, you know, our perceptions and new information can give us a new feeling. So yes. emotions are always valid. Um, integral emotions are kind of that first emotion that we feel as a result of something that are directly tied to an antecedent. Um, okay. Someone's, you know, is very rude to you and you feel hurt um, cause and effect. Um, The incidental emotions are the ones that carry over. They come two ways. One being that say, if someone was very mean to you and you felt upset, that's your integral emotion. And then if you felt guilty for being upset, um, like, oh, maybe I shouldn't be upset. Maybe, you know, this or that, Um, they didn't mean it. Um, The guilt on top of that sadness is an incidental emotion because Uh. it's secondary to it. The other way incidental emotions can happen is say you have a horrible day, you come home from work and you're angry. That's your integral emotion. But then the house is a mess and um you know your dog spills something all over and you take out that integral emotion of anger out on the dog or you know if your child spills something or makes a mess where you're carrying over The emotions from situation one Into situation two
1: Ah, I'll tell you what That is so much more than we talked about On our show Uh, I think people had the misconception When we talked about incidental And integral emotion We, We kept it to It seemed like Anger was the main um, emotion we we kept bringing up. And so it's good that you're bringing these other things up because it makes people understand that this is not just about being angry about a situation yeah. and therefore what the consequences are or how you're going to react to it. There's so many other situations and so many other emotions that play into these two concepts. For um, sure, Anger and- is
2: one that comes up a lot because – um, when we think about emotions and things that cause issues, we tend to think about the more extreme ones, and anger can be extreme. For some people, um, they don't go to anger. They go directly to sad, so it's just as mm-hmm. important to process that as well.
1: I got you. And, and that being said, we we briefly talked about something in that show that we did on incidental emotions that was pointed out in that 45-page study we bring up often here on Two Brothers, One Mike. And in that study, it it talked about how individuals sometimes make decisions later on in the day or maybe later on in the week. And they they base those decisions on an emotion they are feeling from a completely different situation that happened earlier in that day or earlier, uh, you know, again, earlier in that week. So so they themselves at times do not even realize they are allowing emotions from another experience to control how they will handle a completely different situation. What, what may be the cause of that? Is there a specific, you know, a specific part of the brain that is responsible for this occurring often uh, to so many people?
2: Yes. It's, it, it, I can talk about different brain structures that are involved in the brain is such a magnificent organism that is incredibly complex. Mm -hmm. At the same time, humans by nature, um, we're experiential learners. So, Um, If every time I go gamble, I lose, we start to expect that, right? If every time I go Uh gamble and I win, I start to expect that. If every time I talk to you, Tony... Um, you give me a compliment, I would expect it every time, right? Okay, it's okay. Here. We're experiential learners in that we tend to expect the same outcomes from the same situations and sometimes struggle when it's different. So it's part of how we learn. And the brain structure implicated – are they're they're vast actually so the prefrontal part of the brain is the part that takes in information without further processing it okay and so a lot of these structures in the front and in the bottom of the brain just kind of create that immediate trigger response but then we also have the amygdala and the amygdala is this part of the brain that coordinates your emotional response especially fear and anger so we find that in individuals who've suffered trauma in their lives they're a Amygdala actually becomes hyperactive, and it anticipates a fear response. Um, Individuals with anger problems can also have a heightened amygdala response. Um, And so we literally train our brain sometimes how to respond if we repeatedly respond a certain way. We also have our limbic system, which coordinates mood, motivation, and our judgment. That's really key. The hippocampus is responsible for our memories, meaning if I remember that when I do a certain thing, it feels great. Mm -hmm. The hippocampus is helping us remember that, and the hypothalamus has the hormonal and chemical part of our response. And basically, all of these structures, there's they're interesting and they work together. At the same point, the underlying issue is that the more you expose yourself to certain things, the more the brain and the body anticipate it. And if someone is constantly responding in a a way of stress, Mm -hmm. they're going to keep responding in a way of stress. And so that's where we get to the amygdala and and the frontal cortex to start to learn how to mediate that response that ties into things like emotional intelligence and things like that.
1: So okay, now Joe um, and Dr. Rantilla, if you can, uh, he's gonna. I want him to to tell this story, and maybe you can elaborate on what what he's going to to do here in the show we did on incidental emotion. Joe, we talked to you. Well, we didn't. You told uh, a story about a certain judge, and we don't name names here. Uh, it's just a certain experience that you went through with a judge who you know is I forgot what what type of judge it was. Uh, Courtroom. Common,
0: common, please. Common, Common, please. please. please.
1: And the the individual basically um, would sometimes uh, be triggered by previous cases in terms of being maybe irritated by certain attorneys or certain defendants uh, in previous cases and then uh, take those emotions and maybe you could tell, you know, the story a little bit better than I can. I just remember you talking about that. And it well, essentially. Kind of, yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was that, and, and what he would do is just ruin everybody else's day for the rest of that day. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was pretty much it. Certainly. If uh, uh, somebody rubbed them the wrong way, gave a wrong answer um, or a way that he didn't feel was appropriate, if they were dressed inappropriately for court or whatever it might be, uh, certainly uh, that would then set the tone for the rest of the day uh, to a point where bailiffs would call down to the, to the, you know, where the security office was and let us know, Hey, judge so-and-so it's going to be one of those days. And everybody knew that you had to walk on pins and needles when you're around him because anything would just trigger him and set him off.
1: And you as a deputy experienced that, uh, at least one, one instance.
0: One time. Yeah. Just once, Uh, not in, fortunately it wasn't just me. There were other individuals in the room as well that uh, we all received equal lashing. Uh, But uh, you know, it, it, it was what it was. Nonetheless, you know, it's just that's something that he was is very renowned for.
1: OK, so so Dr. Rentello, based on what he was just talking about as an example from a real life experience, uh, how I'm, when you when you look at that situation uh, with, you know, uh, somebody of that stature, um, is that something that even an individual of that stature should probably be um, looking Into as far as maybe learning how to control that situation, because when you think about that, this is this is somebody who basically makes life altering decisions for individuals standing before him or her. Um, How can that what, what exactly do you feel might be going on there? That maybe needs to be a situation where this individual may need to come to somebody such as yourself and reevaluate how they're handling that, you know, they're themselves in that situation.
0: Hey, hey, Doc, before you answer that, if I could just throw in a quick a quick response to that. Sure. Mm-hmm. He needs to get his ego in check. Um, you know, one of the problems that we had was, uh, uh, you know, w- within the department itself, a lot of people too much joking around, too much screwing around, and I had to keep explaining to other deputies that I worked with, "Look, you don't know what somebody's going through at home, and when they're walking through these doors, what they're bringing in with them." OK, and that's just kind of the problem when you when you're dealing with people in in authority, an authority figure, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's that whole that whole adage with great responsibility or with great power comes great responsibility. You've really got to learn how to um, how to use uh, uh, that power in a way that it's not going to do harm to other people. Here's a guy who can essentially bully you around you know,
1: okay. and
0: yeah. set the tone for everyone else. Right. And at the same time, again, it, and I had explained in that episode as well, it's not as if though he was in a bad mood, so somebody, you know, got the death penalty. Okay. Uh, you know, it's just, you had to deal with somebody who had this, this heightened ego and, uh, you know, he okay, had no so, problem making everybody pay for it.
1: So be that being said, the, the question now can be this, Dr. Rantella, if this individual was to come to you, how would you you would you would you just look at them and say, it's your ego that needs to be put in check, or how would you handle that situation?
2: <laughs> well, let's be honest. Not many people are going to take that kind of feedback well, especially somebody with that ego. Uh, yeah. Um, I don't know that this will surprise anybody when I think that, when I say that everybody can benefit from therapy, uh, I think one of our greatest tools we have mm-hmm. is self-awareness mm-hmm. and insight, which is what leads to building emotional intelligence. Mm-hmm. So the issue here is is very profound, and we, know, we all know people like this because what happens is if it's one of those days where they're making the call saying, hey, it's one of those days – It also causes a reaction in other people. You might go in nervous and and say the wrong thing or stumble, which could even trigger that person even more. Mm -hmm. And so that's what we call, there's a fancy word for it called projective identification, where someone's issues, transferences make you act in a certain way that's not even yourself. And it just creates this whole vicious cycle of just unhealthiness, say, in the workplace or in a relationship. Um, Typically, you know, when I first meet a client, um, again, some clients you can kind of tell that there are some ego issues. Sometimes it takes a little bit longer. Um, my goal with any client is to empower them how to be as insightful as possible, oh. how to build as much empathy as possible, and have that informed decision making. Um, and so those things would kind of become apparent. you know. And again, I've had clients come in and everything they say is, joe did this tony did this and Mm -hmm. you know mary did this and they you know and after a while the reflection comes it sounds like a lot of important people in your life can't seem to do the right thing how do you process that um and again the foundation i would no matter what we were talking about i would say the foundation of growth and therapy is a strong therapeutic alliance so I would never really come in guns blazing, telling someone um, <laughs> different yeah. without yeah. ensuring that we have a strong therapeutic alliance so that the feedback can land in a way that it's received well. Well,
1: I, I could tell you this. When you said Joe did this and Tony did this, my brain went back to 1983 all over again with, <laughs> with Joe and I standing before our parents trying to blame one another and them trying to figure out who the culprit was uh, that stole all the clothespin cookies and ate them. But- um, You so, really went there. Okay. Yeah, well, yeah, so, <laughs> yeah, but well, I did. But that's ex- immediately what I did. But And I, I don't want to take away from how important all that information was, but that's where I went. <laughs> but moving forward. Okay. Let's move on. We don't we need to get into that right now. Uh, we, we talked, uh, in a previous show on incidental emotion. Uh, I keep saying the previous show, it's the same previous show, uh, about people reading into both negative and positive stories about the same thing. So let me, let me be more specific, um, such as people having cancer. Let's, we'll use that. So some stories, uh, provided positive outcomes, uh, on survival and you know courageous battles and how they battled and how they finally got through their five years and were cancer free, uh, ringing the bell, the the emotion that goes into that, and then there were other stories that they provided uh, negative feedback in terms of low percentages percentages of um, survival. Uh, we see that so often with things such as pancreatic. Cancer and so on and so forth—very gloomy outcomes, you know. So both groups were reading about the same disease, but two completely different outcomes. And when people were asked after the positive stories, that particular group, when they were asked about how many survivors they felt there are per year from cancer, percentage-wise, the percentage numbers were way up—you know, quite a bit higher than when those that same question was posed uh, to those who read the negative stories. And when they were asked that same question about what they felt that percentage was in terms of cancer survivors per year. Uh, So obviously, uh, you know, it was a big difference based on the emotion they were feeling in the middle of reading these stories. So my, my question is this, how much of an effect can an author's agenda have on how optimistic or how pessimistic individuals are in their decision-making? So in other words, Regardless of the background of the author of the article or article or, you know, for that matter, the the author of the post in these days uh, when it comes to social media, whether they are world scholars or, you know, just a guy tweeting away in his basement in small town USA. How much of an impact do these authors have uh, when we you know, when we allow them to. Uh, I guess, press their agendas uh, and place their 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 agenda, should I say, on our decision-making processes?
2: So I think they can have a lot of power and it all depends on the person who's reading it. So state of mind is a huge part uh, anytime anyone creates something, any kind of message, mm-hmm. um, whether they choose to say, Just like when I work with kids, for example, do I tell you keep your hands to yourself, or do I tell you don't hit your brother? I said the same thing, but look how I framed it, right? Right. So, and that happens a lot in therapy. We talk about how we communicate um, with other people. If sometimes, as say, a client isn't pleased with how they're received, um, you know, and how to give compliments, how to, you know, have a positive spin, how to be empathic. So there are always more than one way to say something. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of it still depends on the mood and emotional state of the reader. So um, and research really shows that language matters. Um, There are studies where they had somebody watch a sad movie and then read a very neutral article and they came up with more negative outcomes than the people who watched a happy, uplifting, funny movie and read the same exact article. Uh So state of mind is part of it. Um, and that's really important. And again, we still come back down to emotional insight. Um, you know, learning to ask yourself questions like, am I in the space that I'm receptive to this information? Am I in a space where I can be objective and analyze this information? Because, Let's be real in this day and age. There are a lot of ways to share slash spin information. Mm -hmm. Um, And the author's intent could be to make people fearful, to incite them, to motivate them. And that's part of it. The other part is how it's received.
1: Yes. I I actually, I always say this and so many people do. You could take numbers and do, uh, you can, you can put them You know, in any context, you know, they could be factual, but the way you use the numbers is definitely going to make a decision uh, or make uh, an individual either change their mind or continue on the journey they're on. But you can easily sway thousands of people just by the way you word whatever you're wording and how you manipulate the numbers. Um, And so uh, if that has it, if that makes, if does that tie into what you're talking about there?
2: That does. So a true statistic is for example, that 40% of Americans will be diagnosed with anxiety at some point in their life. Mm -hmm. And I, I'm not going to get into that the number of actual anxiety is much higher because not everyone's diagnosed, but just know that roughly 40% of Americans will be diagnosed with anxiety. A common question, someone comes into my office, do other people feel this way? What if I told them uh, 60% of Americans don't?
1: Right. Instead they feel saying, like they're they feel like right. they're on the lower end.
2: Instead of saying, Hey, Joe, 40% of Americans go through this. What if I said, Well, 60% of Americans don't have any of this? Do you see how it's kind of the mm-hmm. same? idea but the way it was presented very much so really bad
1: yeah very much so so i mean what this and this kind of ties into what i wanted to talk to you about next it's it's emotional intelligence the concept of high emotional intelligence. And it was it was in it's in that study in that 45 page paper that we we continuously bring up here. Um, when you talk about that concept of high emotional intelligence that some people have, when it comes to recognizing their emotions, and when heading into, you know, the next situation, you know, they're able to separate their decision making needed for the present situation from how they are feeling about a previous situation, if everyone is following me, whether it you know whether it was good or bad, glad or mad, happy or sad, uh, it, is that something they learn through therapy on how to and how to recognize these gifted people, or is it just a gift they're born with? Yes
2: and yes. Um, okay. <laughs> and sure. okay. 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 Um, so. I tie emotional resilience to something, um, emotional intelligence to resilience, okay? Mm -hmm. Those are things that, to an extent, you're kind of born with it. And we all know some people who are just highly insightful, empathic, emotionally intelligent, and or resilient, and some people who just really struggle in those situations. So it is genetically linked to temperament, which temperament are the characteristics of our personnel that we are born with. At the same time, um, it can be created through nurturing caregiver relationships, through nurturing friendships. It can be nurtured through therapy. So, there's, I think we all, I feel like we all have a seed of it and a part of it. And some people get a little bit more kind of from the get go. Mm -hmm. But then, life experiences and effort can truly shape that. Um, Somebody could have maybe the emotional intelligence enough to know. Um, I struggle in these situations. I don't know what to do, but I want to do something. And that's all they need.
1: Right. Okay. So, I mean, as you know, on this show, we also talk about uh, exercise. And we talk about nutrition. So it's kind of the same thing when it comes to knowing that you need to change your eating habits. And that sometimes is all the individual needs is knowing that they need to change their eating lifestyle and then they'll in order to
2: help from yeah. the, uh, the person right. who can help them.
1: Right. Right. So, so uh, I, I, that's, e- I guess easier said than done, but I mean the ball gets rolling right then and there at least. So there's that. Um, let me ask you this, and this is really the last question I have for today, uh, and anything you want to elaborate on after that, by all means, we were more than happy to hear it. If, if you were to sit down all right, with a client that's experiencing uh, the negatives of, of incidental emotion decision-making processes, what, what would be one or two suggestions you would give them in starting a journey? to basically regain control over, over this situation?
2: So first and foremost, again, big shock, the psychologist likes therapy, is there's, there are therapists out there who we are skilled and ready and love motivated clients who want to come in and talk about this stuff. So mm-hmm. hands down, that's always an option. Two, um, honestly, anything that you can do to reduce any, um, situational, affective distress is critical. It could be as simple as deep breaths. It could be as simple as muscle relaxation strategies where you tense and release anything that can reduce the physiological arousal, which tends to expedite fear-based decision-making. Um, you know, sometimes at work when I'm really stressed out from my nine o'clock client before my 10 o'clock client comes in, I take a walk around the building uh-huh. um, just to kind of let that go. And then what happens is, is when we're in a state of stress, our blood vessels constrict. We tend to have limited insight into our thinking. We're literally in the state of oxygen deprivation. So if you can do anything to increase blood flow, that increases oxygenation. Take deep breaths. Go for a walk. Um, gosh, I've told clients to do sit-ups in their office if that helps. I mean, yeah. anything to anything to move, um, a couple yoga poses, whatever. Uh-huh. So that's first and foremost is do something that will help to reduce your physiological sense of distress. Two, I would focus on um, identifying emotions. Just say right now at – You know, 10.50 a.m. on this Monday, I feel stressed out. First, name the emotion. See if you can name the trigger and say and make that choice with a self-affirming belief that I don't have to let this feeling take over the rest of my day. So positive self-talk. And I always tell clients, too, when you feel like emotions are running high um, and they can be hard to mute, Ask yourself how you can turn up the volume on your logic, and that might be okay. Telling yourself logically, I may not make my best decision right now, so I'm going to postpone for an hour. Mm-hmm. Give yourself space.
1: Yeah, I yeah, I tell you what, there's there's going to be a show. I, I now we we tied Dr. Rantilla, ladies and gentlemen, to this 45-page study. And, and, you know, right now we've just done two of what I believe are, there's eight different categories in this, in this 45-page study. And so we're going to have her back several more times with just talking about this particular paper on emotional decision-making. But, Dr. Rantilla, there's another show that we have coming in our future, and I don't know if it's going to be season three or four yet. It's, uh, if you ever listen to the show, a lot of times you'll hear me say, be the best you. Um, yes. The show we're going to do is going to contradict that, and it's going to be entitled The Worst You. And it's basically going to be about what is it that triggers you to make the worst decisions and what is it – so a lot of people right away say, my job, you know, mm-hmm. and so on and so forth. That might be a show, Joe, where I think Dr. Rentilla would be fantastic to do an interview with – immediately following that show um because some of the things you were just saying just now as well as throughout this show seemed like they would tie right into um, what it is that triggers us to be the worst you if that makes any sense that makes sense. Yeah. So, I mean, and that was just something that obviously my brain goes in 50 different directions while people are talking. And, and I immediately attached myself to that show with what you were saying and thinking, wow, this could be a fantastic thing for her to talk about in season three or in season four. Um, Joe, anything else you want to point out today or or uh, um, give insight to or, So, yeah, some of the
0: things that uh, she was bringing up about being self-aware, that was something that was said to me as well uh, when I was going through, you know, some of the the therapy that I was doing. And uh, I gave that cognitive behavioral therapy uh, a try. And I've always said, I I really believe that everybody should try at least once uh, having this, you know, therapy. And and just like Doc even said here, it it can only benefit you if for any other reason, but to kind of see what you're working with, kind of do a a self-check uh, you know, on where you're at, uh, mentally and emotionally. So if, you know, I,
1: I, I, I totally recommend, yeah, something I like totally that. agree with you. I probably just thinking off the top of my head, I've from, you know, from an intense therapy type of situation, where are sitting down with somebody and, and, and going through these processes to try and figure out where I'm at in my journey. I, I would say at least three times, uh, three different situations in my life where I've done that. And I feel that it has helped me. I really do. And that's probably why I went back and did it again. And then again, Um, it definitely is something that people should look into when they feel, you know, that there's, they can't figure out what's going on and they need somebody who is professionally capable and understanding about the mind works. And, and just sometimes, you know, Dr. Rotella, tell me if this is, is true also, or how you feel about this. Sometimes it's just nice to be able to talk to somebody else about what's going on in your life and get their input from, you know, as far as what they've experienced in their life or what they've experienced from other clients and and from their professional background that they can give them some feedback. And it just feel, you feel better about yourself when you leave that session.
2: Absolutely. And therapy, um, I mean, it's just such a tool to really process with somebody that you don't have to run into later who asks if you've done the laundry yet and that you don't have all the other mundane aspects of life. (laughs) Honestly, it's so true because a lot of my adolescents, I mean, that's why they love coming to therapy because – They can say what they want to say without fear of getting in trouble and judgment because let's face it. I mean, you know, again, I had a great growing up experience, but sometimes you you hesitated to tell your mom or dad something because their first thought was going to be like, you did what? Because they love you and they're, they're just afraid for you. And sometimes it's hard to put aside. Um, and with the psycho, like when I'm the psychologist in the room, I don't have to worry about that. Um, I just can hear, I can listen, and that's important. And a lot of people think therapy is about um, getting advice. It's honestly so much more about self insight and building your own toolkit. Um, and. When you walk away, you know that someone didn't just tell you what to do. You created your own solution, Mm -hmm. and that is an amazing feeling.
1: I think sometimes people get the misconception that therapy is also a a way a weak. I'm weak. I need. I I I can't handle it myself, and I need somebody else to help me. And so, mentally speaking, I'm weak. Uh, And. and
0: and Go well, ahead. I'm sorry, Tony. Go ahead. No, no no, uh, no, 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 go ahead. And what she just said was is all the reason. Uh more I was gonna say there's the stigma behind, you know, again, if you're asking somebody for help, but like she said, you're actually creating your own journey. Solution. So yeah. yeah, your own solutions. So there's no which I no reason to feel yeah. that somebody else is doing it for you. Right. right. So right. so y- people just need to get over themselves and 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 kind of deal with that uh or not deal with that stigma, kind of put it to the side. If you can't do it on your own, you just got to be able to step up and ask somebody for help. That's really what it comes down to.
2: I have to say in a positive light, I feel like I graduated. So I graduated from my doctoral program in 2003 mm-hmm. and, and I was in Chicago in a big city where, you know, I almost everybody went to, to a psychologist or a therapist. And when I moved home here, Back to the youngstown area i was curious and i felt like it was such a good reception of people really embracing going to therapy a funny anecdote is i had an, a seventh grader who loved coming so much he he took a stack of my business cards from my lobby and passed them out at recess wow and said you have to see her she helps me so much <laughs> that is i, I mean that's that a fantastic story i have that to is- tell you these kids are not embarrassed that they go to therapy. They tell their friends and they tell their teachers, and they are proud of it. And I think that's such a great thing to learn from the younger generation who are very pro therapy.
1: Well, then, yeah, props to Generation Z again. Uh, <laughs> they they again have impressed me. Um, Well,
0: Tony, one more thing. Uh, The reason why I say that too is just because you don't want to get to that place to where, like where I was at, where I kept putting it off, putting it off. Then I started having all these physical things going on with me, you know, and, Mm -hmm. and then it, it it was only increasing the anxiety because, you know, medical anxiety above that. Why is this happening now? Mm -hmm. Uh, And, and, you know, before it ever starts to get there, you can nip it all at the bud Mm -hmm. and why not? Yeah. I mean, it just makes more sense.
1: Yeah. Um, And so that being said, uh, I think this was a fantastic show today. Dr. Nicole Rentello, thank you once again. For I'm just giving so much insight and, and, and listeners out there, I'm going to say that I'm going to say this, I I've said this a million times shows like this with so much information, so much important information when it comes to the mind, especially, please do not be afraid to listen to this show twice. Uh, it, it just, in my own experience, and it might be, it might not be in your own experience when you hear it that second time around, there's just so much information that you already have in your brain that all of a sudden just, it's it's like a, it's like a a bell going off uh, the the light bulb going on it, you just pick up so much more and today dr rentella gave so much insight to how to handle or how we can handle ourselves in these decision making processes in our life when it comes to emotions that we're feeling previously and how to handle those before going into what we are feeling in the moment. So, Dr. Rantilla, again, we thank you so much for being on the show. We are definitely looking forward to having you again in the very near future in season three of Two Brothers, One Mike.
2: Well, thank you for having me. And I love spreading the word about mental health emotional well-being and therapy
1: thank you very much
2: thanks
1: okay. so i mean joe i mean she really just hit so many good points in this show that that i'll tell you right now i'm gonna listen to the show i just did the show and i'm gonna i'm going to listen to it and so are you
0: <laughs> yeah yeah sure yeah. certainly yeah,
1: yeah. Our technical advisor has no no options, folks. He's got to listen to the show again. But um, I just, you know, in all seriousness, it's just – She just brings so much insight to understanding. So we do the show, right? But we're not professionals in this particular background. And it's just amazing that her as an, that's why it's so important to have an interview with these professionals after we talk about what we've looked at in research studies. She actually lives this reality, you know, on a daily basis. This is what she loves. This is her passion. This is her background, you know, from an academic standpoint. And she brought so much to the show today and and how to handle ourselves and why things maybe happen to us in these decision-making processes.
0: You know, I really liked when she talked about how uh, how, certain, how the way that we put things, the way that information can be given to us can have an effect on, you know, on the total outcome, the whole 60-40 thing, as far yeah. as those who need. I, that was pretty neat. And, it, and you know, it goes hand-in-hand hand with what I was saying way back when we first talked about this, how somebody could write something and have a you know, an ulterior motive mm-hmm. uh, as to what they're writing. And I was literally doing it at, in what I was saying, you know, kind of making right. it sound like it was this big drawn out thing. And all I was really just saying is, this see how easy it could be done. Um, you know, it, it's just it's a matter of what the writer, you know, what their end goal, what their end game is.
1: Very true. So,
0: Very true. All right. So next week, next week, we're going to be doing, uh, more than just a regular podcast. We're going to mm-hmm. do our, our YouTube video, uh, for the end of the season or between the season episode.
1: Yeah. We can call uh, it between, the, season. between
0: yeah. the seasons. Yeah. Sure. Uh, yeah. And, uh, so yeah, we're going to have that going on. Um, we're going to talk about probably what we're looking forward to in the next season maybe some stats on what happened this one Um, that's pretty much it and of course we'll we'll have the podcast version as well you'll still be able to get that uh wherever you get your podcasts from whether that be what google
1: google facebook apple spotify anchor comcast Uh, there's one called breaker that we had that we're on breakers another one yeah 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 so yeah We're all over the place.
0: All right. So until then, I want to remind all of you, be sure to give us a review on your favorite podcast service. Also, if you have any questions, comments, thoughts, or opinions, you can leave us a voice message via the link in this episode's description. And finally, remember to join us each week as we release new episodes every Wednesday morning at 9 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Now, on behalf of Coach Tony and myself... Thanks for listening.
1: Hey, everybody out there, be the best you, And that's really all we have to say when you have a show like this. I mean, that's that not true. Good. He
0: ate the clothespin cookies. Don't let him
1: know. He ate the he admitted. It. I'll tell you what, we'll interview our mother and father on this show.